You're listening to Building a Better Brand, and I'm your host, Tony Triumph, founder of The Triumphant Group. And I'm here to share the stories behind my friends who are industry innovators, my buddies who are movers and shakers, as well as my fellow clients, colleagues, and the go-getters of today that have helped both big and little brands be a big success. Whether you're a big brand, a little brand, an indie brand, or run a multi-million dollar company, I'd love for you to listen up because we're here to empower you through our world of tips and tools to help you build a better brand. Welcome to our world. Let me tell you guys something about my next guest. Miss Kibi Anderson is a gem and very much highly sought after. She's a good friend of mine, a super dope, high energy go-getter and (laughs) quite the achiever. Kibi Anderson is an LA-based business executive and an Emmy Award-winning film producer with over 18 years of experience in strategy, business development, media, entertainment, tech, finance, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, she does quite a lot. So I met Kibi a number of years ago at the Women in Fashion Film Festival in New York City. I was hosting the opening night reception, and Kibi was an invited panelist, among many other VIPs in media and fashion and that whole world. And so, of course, she'll tell you her version of us meeting, (laughs) and I'll tell you mine, but it was kind of like a bing moment where, (laughs) bing, you know, like, we were both kind of like just cutting around a corner at the same time, and I was wearing this really bold and standout leather jacket. It was by an independent designer that nobody had ever seen before, and and it it had all these black and gold and silver embellishments, and I just remember her saying something like, oh my God, I love your jacket. And what I remember most was that it was just a really genuine compliment in a room full of beautiful fashion people. And if you know fashion people, you you never know if it's genuine or if they just want something from you. So my instant response was, well, thank you. And who are you? And why do I love your energy so much? <laughs> so at this point, you know, I had no idea who she was and what she did or who she worked for. But I just I just knew I loved her energy and that we had to stay connected. So we exchanged cards, eventually did brunch, and almost instantly forged a friendship that has since grown into us working on many, many projects together. She's she's truly become a very valuable person to not only my business journey, but also my life as a true friend. Yeah, y'all, Kibi's a real one. Working in executive roles at Red Table Talk, where she was the president, at Bloomberg Media, where she was head of digital strategy and business development, at ABC News, where she was Senior Manager of Business Strategy and Operations, and at Broadway Federal Bank, where she was VP of Business Development, she's since become recognized for her ability to mix comprehensive industry insight, entrepreneurial acumen, and strategic communication skills to build digital businesses and brands globally. Now that's what I'm talking about. Kibi is a go-to business strategist, and her role with companies is one of the most vital components to innovation and staying ahead of the ever-changing markets, as well as making sure deals flow in, building out winning teams that support deal flow, and of course, keeping your brand profitable. This episode is all about her work in media and the impact she's made with award-winning and well-known brands like Bloomberg Media and Red Table Talk, how she got her start, and some of the top things you can do to build a winning, thriving media brand. I hope you enjoy it. Here we are with my girl, Kibi. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, when I started this podcast, you were definitely one of the first people that came to mind. Um, obviously, you are a sought after speaker and everybody wants to hear the Kiwi vision and how all of this amazing stuff that you've done has come to life. But um, I think I always like to start off with how I uh, how I met you and how we came together and just the story about that. I think I think people listeners always find it fascinating the journey um, of relationships and how people begin working together and things like that. So how did Kibi and Tony meet? <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's give your version. I get my version. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> I know. And then the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? right. Um, you know, well, I will say Tony is probably one of the hardest working people that I've ever met. And I say that with all the glory and joy that comes along with knowing people who I think have a similar energy. Um, so I was actually uh, working, what was it? The Women Fashion Film Festival? Yep, God, this was. was almost like seven, eight years ago. Right. Um, and uh, I was uh, a, a judge, I think, or I was hosting a couple of panels. And this mm-hmm. was an event being put on by a lovely lady, Adam New York, um, who, yeah, yeah Janine, yes, mm-hmm. Janine, who is, you know, just doing it herself, making amazing things happen. And so Tony and I met at like an after, like a party, I think, <laughs> as most relationships start at a party. <laughs> um, he came up to me and, you know, we just started talking and, you know, he just started, you know, just asking me and you were working on the event too. I think that's what I began to realize. And so, um, you know, just exchanged information and, you know, had fun, enjoyed a couple drinks back when I was drinking and enjoying the New York life. And, uh, and then you followed up. I mean, I will say, I mean, Tony, like I said, I think one of the reasons why you have been so successful in your um, professional career so far is the tenacity you have with like following up. And if you find there's a connection or the energy is great um, and just good people, you know, you will seek them out. <laughs> and yes. so you stop me out and you're like, I want to stay connected to you, you know, whatever, whatever makes sense. And so that's, that's the relationship began. And I'm trying to think of, I think we may have just hung out again. And then over time, the relationship turned from being more of a social one to professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just began to realize like this, 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 this young brother is doing it. Now there's an age difference between us. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, that much well, not that much, that much, but <laughs> I definitely was like, oh, you know, I need to hang around the young folks so I can stay cool <laughs> and hip. You know, that's one of my secrets. And he was absolutely young and hip you know y'all know your boy tony he looks fabulous always rocking the fly gear so i will say i'm sure we'll get to this you have definitely helped me step up my branding game over the last you know probably three or four years um but yeah and and for me it was it was really just again the same i think attraction you know just feeling like good energy good person um you know in it not just for himself but really feeling like you were down to like support other people who you knew were on the rise so I know that's my version. What's your version? 100%. <laughs> you know, and I just love that you talk about my tenacity because that, that was something that, you know, and we'll talk about this more. You talk about a lot about tribe building and things like that. And that was the, that was the wheelhouse that I was on back then. I was really yes. just trying to build a, a proper tribe. And I, I wasn't even using the word tribe back then. I don't think I used the word click either, but I was just like, I need to hit reset on my network. I was coming from working as a model and that was how I got connected to the Women in Fashion Film Festival obviously Mm -hmm. just knowing all those people in the fashion world and I was just really adamant about hey I need really 
you know, good quality, amazing, uh, you know, professional people around me. And, and I think at that point in my journey, I was just really drawn to you and your spirit and your personality. And like you said, it was, it was a, a, a mutual connection. And I, I'm, I'm always big and I tell anybody to ask me to mentor them. You need to organize your network and follow up with people and really yes. hold dear the ones that are, you know, those extra, had those yeah. extra special sprinkles. So totally. that, was, that was where it came, you know? I know. And I think it was actually unique too, because I probably was the most like non-traditional at that time in my career, non-traditional sort of like entertainment person. Because although I had a background in entertainment, like I was working, I think at ABC News at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, definitely wasn't, you know, in the sort of fashion world, in the media world, um, more so on the entertainment side, much more, um, you know, doing that much more now. So I think that probably may have also been another reason why there was like, hmm, okay, this girl is definitely like operating in some circles that I may not be operating in. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a good a, a good asset to have. You know, definitely, definitely. And and I feel like, and that's a strategy. We'll d- dive into this as we yeah. layer our stories. But I just, w- I really try to tell people, you know, you got to connect with the untraditional. You know, mm-hmm. anybody that's not in your wheelhouse, you you would be shocked at the amazing things you guys can do together. And I think you and I have done some amazing things. We together. have. Yes, <laughs> yes. You have. Yes. Amazing things. <laughs> so it's so many layers to our relationship, but I'll start with diving in a little bit more about the things that I want to know about you, such as your your work in film. I didn't know you back then, but I'm I'm mm-hmm. always curious to hear, you know, you started in film and then you moved through lots of amazing accolades with the business world and finance. So Tell us about that journey a little bit and why it was so important for you. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's funny. I always get the question, like, how'd you go from film to finance? Like, usually it's the other way around. Um, but yeah, for me, I definitely have had kind of non-traditional pathways. Um, but yeah, no, you know, I uh, grew up as an only child, you know, spent a lot of time by myself. My mother was was a single parent, you know, so unfortunately, the television became kind of my babysitter for a lot of my um a lot of my, you know, young adult life and books, you know, I love stories and just kind of the places and journeys that I could take just in my imagination by just kind of, you know, diving deep into a book. Um, and so when I was in college, I uh, lived in Japan. I, well, I lived in Japan for a year. And then I also studied and lived in Singapore for two years um, in high school. So I lived in Asia for a total of about four years. Um, and to be honest, you know, it was my first encounter being um, a person of color and confronting, you know, kind of the stereotypes that media images can create. And, you know, I would oftentimes come in contact with people, you know, who were excited to meet me, but their first impression was like, oh, you know, like, do you live in the ghetto? Or like, you know, does your father play basketball? Or, you know, just a lot of the images, you know, that you were seeing uh, of people of color, Black folks specifically at that time, which were very limited. So when I realized that I wanted to get into the film industry, it was really about like, we need to change this narrative. You know, I don't want there to be any question about that there are more people that look like me, you know, who are just, you know, smart kids, you know, curious, you know, nerdy, you know, growing up in this community like Seattle, Washington, where I'm from, which was definitely by any means, you know, not, um, you know, representative, I think of what you were saying. And so that's what started it. I was just like, I want to change the narrative. So when I moved to LA after college, you know, just started off as an, as an assistant to a director, kind of getting my foot in the door and kind of work my way up with him. Eventually we launched a production company together and thus began my journey as a film creator. And it was really about wanting to diversify the stories. And I've always loved people. I mean, I'm a people person. I'm the kind of person who will stop, you know, the, 
garbage person in Central Park and kind of ask him about his story, you know, and, and, and dig a little bit deeper just because I'm fascinated by it. And so that's really what film and my work in film began, um, began from, you know, I worked as a producer, launched my own production company, as I said, I uh, did that for about eight years, you know, and I've produced everything from short digital series before there was really even a word for it. Um, you know, long form documentary. I won a, a, an Emmy for a documentary that I produced about an Asian American sketch comedy troupe called the, the 18 Mighty Mountain Warriors, which was, again, how do you change the narrative? You know, this was an Asian American sketch comedy troupe that were oftentimes being criticized because the question was, are they funny? You know, this unfunny Asian stereotype. And I was like, no, these, these folks are funny. Like you think about the Asian American version of in living color, they're that kind of funny. But I was angry, you know, cause when I was working on this project, folks would be like, they can't be funny. And I was like, uh, uh no. And I realized people are confronting these kind of boxes that they're being put in, you know, in, in all ways, just because you're not seeing enough diversity, you know, back in the day, Asians portrayal on TV was just as horrendous as, you know, black folks was. <laughs> and so thank God for things like, you know, today, crazy rich Asians, and, you know, you're seeing a lot more diversity, but it was really about that, you know, it was really about that, my love of storytelling and my desire to sort of affect change. And I've always been like, listen, y'all not going to do it, then I'll figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you pull, uh, like one thing I notice about you is that you you can really pull layers from people um, and mm -hmm. you do a good job at paying attention. So thank you. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, soak up these compliments, love. Soak them up, soak them up. <laughs> well, and I think also, you know, and I, I, I definitely give all honor to my mother and like the community of people that she put around me who were also, you know, a part of that village. You know, there was also just this strong emphasis on finishing things. You know what I'm saying? I think we oftentimes can start strong, but we don't finish strong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think as a young person, you know, you have those moments where you're just like, oh, it's hard. And, but my mom would come in and be like, nope, you started this, you got to finish it, you know, and other mentors of mine. And so that ultimately began to just be the way of the world is like, no, if you're going to start it, finish it. Even if you don't decide to continue it, like at least start what you had begun. And so I have brought that, you know, to my life in every aspect, you know, especially professionally, you know what I mean? Um, and I think it served me really, really well. And, you know, to your, to your listeners, it's, it's absolutely important advice, you know, just many people can start strong, but it's those who finish strong that are able to really experience, I think, a level of success that you, you know, is, is, is not shared by many. You just gave me chills. I just remember, like, I, I relate to this specifically because I remember my first year living in New York City. I had probably maybe four or five of the people that were kind of like scratching the surface of like, hey, I'm moving to New York. They would come up and do their thing for a couple months. And literally all of those people left. And I just remember having it in the back of my mind. I refuse to leave New York. I refuse to leave the city until I succeed and do mm -hmm. what it is that I came here to do. Exactly. And 13, 14 years later, you know, it, it, it manifested, you know. Yeah. It, it just, it's, these are all lessons, you know, I, I think for the listeners that they're going to be pulling from layers of this conversation. I, I think specifically this, you know, stay in there, hang in there, do what you got to do to get to where you're trying to go. And just, just really like that level that, that sense rather, like you said, of completion, it's got to burn in yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and they say, especially for those who are aspiring to get into the industry, if you want to work in Hollywood, you know, there's a, there's a sort of belief and kind of philosophy that everybody gets their shot. You just got to be willing to stay in long enough. And yeah. you'll see a lot of people, you know, give up, you know, they move back home or, you know, yeah. they kind of to take another job. 
But the reality is everyone gets their shot, you know, and obviously when you get the shot, you got to have some talent to back it up so you can stay. But it's about a staying power game more so than like a talent game per se, you know, because you'll see people who are not that talented, but because they have persistence, because they stay, you know, they make it. Or you look at someone like Samuel Jackson, you know, he didn't really pop off until way later in his career, you know, and he was in this game for 20 plus years before he finally had the success that he is experiencing now. So that's, that's a little bit of advice for folks. You know, if you, if you, if you really want to do it, just stay because you always get the shot. You always get the shot. Thank you. And keep learning whether you want to be an actor, a singer, a model, you grow in a a brand, a business, you're in a band, you have Mm -hmm. a beauty company, whatever it is that you're building, just hang in there and be open to learn. Moving on a little bit, and, and obviously this is like the layer, you know, of, mm-hmm. of how we've gotten to where we are. But when I met you, you were at ABC, like you said, and um, after that, shortly after, you moved on to Bloomberg and mm-hmm. you ideated or kind of launched their version of TikTok. And mm-hmm. so what was it like bringing to life, you know, this new platform and why was it so important for an already established brand like Bloomberg to, you know, launch an entire I guess, mm-hmm. new product, you know? Yeah, definitely. And just to be clear, so the name of it was TikTok. It wasn't actually like the app TikTok. It was, so it was in the news space, um, but it was basically the first um, kind of all digital video news network. And the idea was, and this, and this is really, you know, I think something to, to kind of keep in mind, you know, Bloomberg established brand, you know, making money hand over foot, to be frank. You know, that's why Bloomberg is definitely one of the more most wealthy people in the country and in the world, I think, honestly. Um, but they are also trying to figure out how to iterate. You know, Bloomberg is at his core an entrepreneur, you know, so even though the company is very big, he's always pushing, you know, what, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. And what they began to realize is there was actually a decent amount of people, young people, when they looked at their data that were coming to the site that were looking to try and get access to maybe profiles of folks that they were admiring, you know, or just to kind of get whatever free stuff they could get in terms of what was happening in the industry. Um, you know, they weren't able to afford kind of the paid products, but these were sort of like our achievers, you know, so the folks who were on the precipice of becoming the next CEOs and C-suite executives. Um, and there wasn't really any other content offering or product offering that we had that was speaking to them. And so the idea became, okay, well, how do we service this audience? You know, because, you know, they are the future. And if we're trying to create a potential person who can sign up for a Bloomberg terminal or pay for, you know, a Bloomberg media subscription down the road, we got to begin to cultivate that now. And, um, and so that's the idea of TikTok, which is what we launched it as came about. And then it's now been rebranded to quick take just because of the TikTok, you know, in the marketplace, it became the, it became I was wondering more, uh, how they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they changed the name actually. Yeah. I still know the GM of the brand um, pretty well. And so, yeah, they changed the name. But, um, but yeah, the idea was, hey, let's think about some things that are going to service that market. And so we begin to realize there isn't really like a video offering in the marketplace that is speaking to this generation using more, not only talking about finance news, but also more general news and then contextualizing it. You know, if you're somebody who's trying to come into a room and like show your boss, you know what's going on. What are the tools that we could give you to make that a little bit easier? And so TikTok, that was the idea. And we realized, okay, well, where are people having conversations mostly? And that became clearly Twitter. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so the idea was, well, listen, you know, you know, we, 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 we realized we can't just build this in a vacuum. We got to go where the audience is, you know, and this is where this community is typically having these kind of conversations. So why don't we partner with Twitter 
and let's build this together. And so that's, that's basically what, you know, we did. And so I was, you know, I, honestly, this was the first project I think I started working on when I came on board at Bloomberg, which was, you know, putting together the original pitch deck, you know, for us to ultimately, you know, circulate it within the um, organization. You know, we had to get Bloomberg on board because the idea of not branding it as Bloomberg was controversial. You know what I mean? Because mostly all of the stuff that within the organization was um, Bloomberg branded, but we realized, hmm, the Bloomberg brand is really, really strong and it's really powerful. And I think if we don't figure out a way to differentiate it somehow, people may not understand that this is a different product and thus really targeting a different audience from the traditional Bloomberg buyer. So that's where this idea of you know, TikTok brought to you by Bloomberg um, came about. And then, like I said, the Twitter partnership was just a perfect, um, you know, a perfect meld, you know, because they had a similar desire in terms of, you know, how do we layer video more into our product? This was, you know, before video had become, um, you know, more integral to what they're doing. And also, you know, how do we continue to kind of double down in our efforts to be seen as like the central place where news conversations are taking place? Uh, so yeah, that's the, uh, that's the, the, the generation. I mean, that's where the origination of that idea came. Um, you know, we were able to sell it, you know, we were able to get our ad sales team on board. So they were able to get, you know, major sponsors and original founding partnerships to come in on board and kind of fund the thing. So it actually was profitable in its first year, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the vision of it, you know, has become even bigger since I've left. But yeah, it was a really exciting opportunity because it was the first time I think Bloomberg had really done something targeting that younger market with a, with a new brand. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. and I think there's there's something extra special to recognize there. So there's always space to regain a share of the market, to grow, to recapture your share of an audience or demographic. Because like you said, you know, these are the people, these are the young people that are mm-hmm. going to be subscribing for a Bloomberg, you know, or, or signing mm-hmm. up for a Bloomberg subscription uh, years down the road. Exactly. Well, and I, I mean, I don't even know if like regain or recapture is even the best word. I mean, we were trying to capture them, you know, because they were already coming to us. Mm-hmm. but they weren't really sticky. You know what I mean? Right. Like they would maybe kind of check in. So our thing is like, okay, well, how do we make these, 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 um, you know, users sticky. And like I said, incentivize them to sort of understand over time. Okay. Well, I got value out of them when I was at this age. Um, you know, so as I move, as I move along in my career, I feel even more comfortable writing a check. Cause you know, the, the subscriptions to the terminal and even the, um, <clears throat> the, the news products are not necessarily cheap. You know I mean? They're, right you know, relative to the marketplace, they're probably on the higher side. So this was a free product, you know, with the, with the Twitter partnership, we were able to offer it for free, kind of ad-based, um, you know, on, and I would imagine over the years as they've rolled out, because the Twitter partnership has ended because it was kind of a short-term thing, really. And so now they've launched like their own website, there's a newsletter, you know, I think there may even be maybe an app experience, but the idea is, or maybe an OTT platform that they've rolled out. So the idea was to eventually roll out components of this product that actually had you know, a fee attached to it, whether it be subscription, um, you know, or some other ad advertising based revenue model. And so to get folks used to the idea and get them, you know, sort of honestly hooked <laughs> to the product early on when it was free, you know, that's the Facebook model, that's the Twitter model, um, right. is, uh, you know, was, was kind of the idea. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I'll be honest, I haven't spoken to my folks over at Bloomberg in a while to kind of see how things are going, but I definitely see, you know, TikTok, I mean, TikTok quick take in my feed mm-hmm. and, um, you know, definitely seeing that they're continuing to grow and push that forward. So a takeaway here would be, even if you're a big brand, you really have to, you know, you always have to launch new products, right? To kind of just keep that market share of like the, mm-hmm. these, or like the millennials and the Gen Z's mm-hmm. that are, 
going to be coming up in the next gen. Otherwise, the brand will not succeed long term. The her- a heritage brand can die a slow, painful death, correct? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially with just the way technologies are changing and habits are shifting. You know, I think about, you know, TikTok, the, the actual TikTok, the, the, the one the that, you know, TikTok. was like taking over. <laughs> but which I one mean, came out first, though? Was Bloomberg TikTok? first and then this so one. no so that one was out but again it wasn't really in the states i think it was still primarily in china like mm-hmm. it hadn't really sort of you know broken um you know kind of the the the, the extreme level of success it's at now and that was the point i was gonna make you know i mean i left bloomberg it's maybe been about like kind of two and a half years and i was at bloomberg for two years so you know in the last four years i mean tiktok had just taken over you know i mean you know freaking kevin mayer who was literally you know, senior suite at Disney, like one of the most established brands in the world, you know, went over there to become the CEO. And although he's left, you know, that just shows you, you know, just how quickly technologies can take off. Because I, I, I mean, that's even faster than Twitter. Definitely Facebook took off, you know what I mean? And obviously they've set the, they've set the pathway for folks, for, for platforms and brands like that to, to win. But I've been amazed. Like, I'll be honest, I have not been a huge Twitter user. I'm a consumer, but I haven't really like sat down and made a TikTok video yet. Mm-hmm. I was saying that the other day. I was like, I got to make a TikTok video because I got to at least right. know that I can, you know, talk about it confidently when I go into different um, work situations. Right. But yeah, as a brand, you cannot afford to not be continually experimenting with these things because this is where the, you know, the users are going in. TikTok is not just for kids anymore. You know what I'm saying? You're seeing parents, you know, Tabitha um, Brown. Plummer, I think it's Tabitha Brown. Yeah. You know, gets deals off of it. You know what yeah. I mean? People are making money off of this, you know, and 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 starting businesses and building brands off of it. You know what I mean? Exactly, so exactly. you can't afford to sit and you know to sit to just sit idly by and not and not experiment. Right, right, right. As we move along to your other work experiences, and obviously you worked with Red Table Talk and and mm-hmm. Jade as the face of that brand. You know, how important is it to build a brand off of the back or face of someone else's brand. Like I noticed Mm -hmm. earlier, you said we had to run it by Bloomberg. I don't know if you meant actual Bloomberg himself. Yes, Um, Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. Okay, (laughs) so that means he's very involved with the day-to-day operations. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, especially for something as big as this. I mean, because, you know, Jack Dorsey and him like literally did the announcement of this, you know, so this was at the highest levels in terms of, you know, his decision. Because, you know, I mean, and I think Bloomberg understands the value of using these platforms, but he himself is not somebody who, you know, I think was like an avid, tic, you know, Twitter user, you know, or Facebook user. Um, and just, you know, just because of generational differences, you know, and he's at his core, you know, is really about the terminal. So his, his major question is, how does this impact my terminal business? <laughs> because right. Right. Bloomberg terminal is the bread and butter, you know what I'm right. saying, of, of, right. of that of that brand. So that's really why whenever you're thinking about doing anything that has, you know, any impact on the terminal business, he, he is going to be involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how important is it to have these, you know, faces of the brand yeah. be important? Because obviously, as we move on to, I want to talk about Red Table Talk. Totally. You know, data is the face of Red Table Talk. And, you know, so how, how heavily do these brands rely on the the figureheads and is it a good idea essentially you know i think it depends you know what i mean like i think you know for something that you're looking to kind of maybe grow quickly or you're looking to bring on you know big money sponsors or big money funders you know definitely having somebody with established presence in the marketplace helps you know what i mean so you know leveraging even in the bloomberg case we we called it tiktok brought to you by bloomberg you know what i mean so it wasn't like we took bloomberg completely out of it because we knew that there was something that the bloomberg brand brought to the table you know you know 
you know, unparalleled journalism, you know, integrity, you know, just things that Bloomberg has always stood for, you know, making sure that you are getting, you know, accurate information in a timely manner, you know, so that definitely helped us legitimize TikTok, TikTok back then and quick take now in the marketplace. So even though folks are like, oh, okay, this is a little different, but I know that I'm getting like those Bloomberg based values. You know, same thing with kind of Red Table Talk. You know, Jada, I think, has always been known in the marketplace for being kind of a say-like-it-is kind of person, you know, open to celebrating, you know, um, you know, having tough conversations, you know, and I think, or just even just talking about stuff that people wouldn't necessarily talk about just because of how she lived, she's lived her life. You know, she had a different approach to child rearing. You know, her and Will have always had a very unique approach to relationships, you know, so you know if you get something with her, involved if she's going to bring that to the table and although I think Red Table Talk took it to the next level you know and even beyond Jada just because you had Willow and you had her mom as well that I think brought their own special magic mm-hmm. it's just you, you just kind of can use that as a foundation um but I don't think it's necessary you know what I'm saying it just it just it just influences like how long it takes you know how much time you know because I'm trying to think of other brands that may not have the face of them um, I mean, I'm sorry, they may not have a face attached, mm-hmm. but are still doing very, very well. And I'm like, you got me on the spot now. I'm like, let me think about something. It'll come to me. Well, I mean, to add to that, you, you have Oprah. She's like probably the key case study. It's like her entire brand has been built around her. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I ask this question because I get a lot of people that I consult for and they say, mm-hmm. well, I, I'm so tied up in the operation side of things. I don't really want to be the face of my business. And I always encourage them to step onto the other side because people need someone to relate to. Like you said, exactly. it's like viable, you know, and people yeah. can have a, can attach a, a face to something. It gives it so much more credibility. It does. Um, yeah. You know, I was trying to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like maybe something like the NFL, you know I mean? The NFL is not one face. Obviously it is a multiple faces, um, you know, but the idea of, you know, athletes operating, you know, at the top of their game, you know, performing excellence, you know, every, you know, Sunday, Thursday, Monday night game, you know, that that's kind of what it stands for. So, you know, it's, it's sort of, a, I think it's sort of a combination. Um, you know, I think about something like, like Just, I don't know how many of you guys know, are familiar with Just Water. You know, Just Water is a water company that was launched by Jaden Smith. Um, you know, he intentionally does not want to be the face of that brand. So this is a different example, you know, because he doesn't want his celebrity to overshadow the importance of what the water stands for. You know, he's very into the environment, you know, Just Water, you know, the packaging, I mean, everything, I mean, the way that whole thing is packaged, you know, the water inside of it, you know, the fact that there's a space where you can write your name on it so you can reuse it so people Mm -hmm. don't take it. I mean, you know, so that is what he wants to lead. And so he will use his face selectively, but for the most part, he's really trying to build a brand around this entire ethos, you know, that's Mm -hmm. not solely determined um, and dependent on him. So that's kind of an alternative example. You know, I mean, people kind of know it's Jaden, but at the end of the day, it's also about a movement, you know, around people who just want to do good things for the environment. And I think that there are those examples out there. But to your point, it's definitely people relate to people. People mm-hmm. relate to stories. People relate to folks that they can feel like there's something in common. They have something in common with. And it's just a lot easier to do that if there's a face attached to it. Correct. I mean, those are both great examples. I, I think what you just said um, about Jaden is a great example because there is some sort of credibility in Mystique. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of fashion brands do this. They don't, or, or just cool, cool brands, they call them. You know, mm-hmm. they don't like to put their face behind it. They don't like to do things traditionally. They don't like to go with the, you know, the the, the role of, of what they're supposed to be 
you know, playing in, in terms of a system approach, a systematic approach to, to how what success success looks like for that brand. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's um, there's a lot of credibility in that if you can kind of master that sort of ethos of, of, of how that breaks down for you. Um, exactly. And I think a great example. Yeah. Um, so about Red Table Talk, you know, we got to go yes, there. Yes, of course. Time at Red love table. my Red Table. <laughs> <laughs> we all loved your time at Red Table. Yeah. It's a phenomenal uh, position to, for you to really flex your, your muscle and, and show your, your, your guns in the entertainment world. And I think you were able to accomplish some amazing things while you were there. You were responsible for taking the business out of the company profitable and just some other amazing things. Um, we got to work together. You brought me onto the team, but mm-hmm. you know, and that was some, so that was some good times. And I, I just want to hear it in your words though, you know, for, for the people, how did this position come to life for you? You were the president of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were there first, you were Red Table Talks, so correct me if I'm wrong, first executive hire. Yeah. On the enterprises side. Yeah. So for the business side, side but yes. Uh-huh. Side. Tell us, how did this come to life? And Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, Red Table Talk, um, and just for to folks to kind of understand, so the, the show is Red Table Talk, obviously on Facebook Watch, you know, number one Facebook Watch show um, with Jada and Willow and uh, Gammy, otherwise, well, Adrian, otherwise known as Gammy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three generations of women, you know, sitting around kind of talking about anything and everything, you know, and, and really not being afraid to, you know, go there. And that's, I think, did a phenomenal job of creating a safe space for many other women across the country, across the world, especially women of color, to feel like they can have these kind of conversations in their own lives, you know, to really support healing and growth and, um, you know, just bring, I think, everybody closer. So just so everybody who may not be familiar with the show knows that was the premise. And so I was brought on board to basically um, take kind of the brand IP that was obviously being built from the show and to push it into other platform areas and really try and maximize and kind of build a global brand that was more than just a TV show. So this included everything from, you know, original digital video series ideas, you know, original content ideas that might be kind of spinoffs, branded content to um, publishing, you know, books, lab events, um, you know, merchandising, e-commerce. I mean, really anything you can kind of think of that would make sense for the brands and really allowed us to stay on mission was what my responsibility was. And really at the end of the day, you know, it was like, how do we continue to serve this audience in a way that helps them grow as people, but also allows us to drive value and obviously revenue over time. So that's what my focus was. Um, You know, as with many opportunities in Hollywood, it came because I knew somebody (laughs) and not necessarily because of nepotism, but you know, you just have to maintain relationships. And so a good friend of mine who I went to business school with, um, shout out to NYU Stern, had, was working with the family on the investment side and we were having coffee in LA during one of my trips back uh, to the West Coast. I was living in New York at the time and he was like, what are you thinking about? You know, you've been in Bloomberg for a couple of years, you know, have you thought about coming back to the entertainment industry? Because he knew about my previous experience, but obviously given my work in digital, he was like, you know, we're, we're thinking about some interesting opportunities that could be good for you here. Um, and Red Table Talk had just launched. So the show was about to come out and I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's interesting. And, they, and, and, you know, and the Smiths at that time, you know, had big visions for what they wanted to build. And now you're kind of seeing it come to life with their Westbrook Inc., you know, sort of company. And they have several other brands that they're working on as well. But at that time, it was still kind of early on. So we talked about stuff like, you know, maybe becoming the COO of the company and, you know, or maybe heading up, um, 
business development. I mean, there was a lot of different things, but eventually we realized when Red Table Talk came out that this was really where there could be some legs and we should maybe put some investment behind it. And so over time we realized, okay, let's actually go, go hard, you know, and so we'll bring you on board to run it. And, you know, as with many startups, <laughs> you know, let's figure out how we can maximize, you know, the, the, the upside, you know, with, with the resources that we have. So it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I think, um, like I said, I really give Jada, Jada kudos here. You know, she was very courageous, I think, in that first kind of first season of the show where she really just bared her soul, you know, and kind of addressed some topics that I think, you know, many people in the world have been like, hmm, whatever happened with that? You know, because they've been such a private family, you know, for so long. So her willingness to be as transparent and as open about her journey, I think really just, like I said, encouraged and inspired a lot of people. And the groundswell from folks and their response was, was just amazing. You know, I mean, the community component, you know, and for me, that was a big part of the brand. Like, how do I really tap into this community that had built online? You know, our Facebook community was like, I mean, now it's probably like six, 700,000 people. By then it was maybe, you know, 400,000 plus, which is huge, you know, for a Facebook community. Um, you know, and they were so active, <laughs> you know, they were posting and helping and totally unsolicited, you know, just out there because they were feeling so empowered and inspired, you know, and that's almost the gold, you know, for a brand to have that kind of engagement, unsolicited, unwarranted, you know, completely, un, you know, all earned, you know, none of it paid for um, is huge, you know. So when I came on board, you know, it was really about, okay, how do we kind of put some structure on this? How do we continue to encourage it? Um, so a lot of my early days were spent, um, you know, really strategically putting together kind of game plans around how to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I got to Red Table Talk, you know, and I moved back to LA and kind of got back into the industry, which was exciting. So my family was all here. And, um, you know, it was an 18 month wild ride, as Tony knows. It was. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I, definitely. I was the entire way. I remember we were having, uh, we were getting Thai food in um, the West Village. Mm -hmm. And we were just, you were like, well, I think I'm going to be up for this role at uh, with Jade and Will at Westbrook. And, and then you, you know, the next thing I knew, you were like, I got it. I'm moving. And then you moved out of your apartment in like 30 days, packed yes. up, had a going away party. And then yeah. like you were in L.A. and then you were back in the city and because you guys were doing some. We're some doing the event. Thing. Yeah. The, the yeah. season um, season two kickoff event. Yeah. Mm -hmm, that's what it was. Mm -hmm, I know. I often say I left Bloomberg on a Friday and started on a Monday. Like it was <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> Started my new job not, on a Monday. You did not have <laughs> any space to like no. do any, have any downtime. I mean, you were already prepared for it, but you know, you, yeah. were, you were fit for this role. You were groomed for it naturally. But um, yeah, that was just, it's been great to watch the entire journey. Um, yeah, and one definitely. of the things that I, I found um, really intriguing was, like you said, the organic community that came from Red Table Talk. I think that was what drew so many people in is because they saw that they just, you know, we love Jada and, you know, especially black people. I'm from Baltimore, especially. We love mm -hmm, Jada Shout yeah. to Baltimore. And then, you know, you got Gammy at the table and, you know, they're telling me, even when I met Gammy, she said, well, my child is from Baltimore. And I was like, yes, yes Gammy. First of all, can I just shout out Adrian <laughs> Banfield Norris, who I, I mean, <laughs> adore you know i think she was the hidden gem of that show and yeah just i'm so proud of how she blossomed and i wish her you know nothing but you know continued success as she continues to expand her efforts and activities in the space but yeah i know she's she was she was wonderful wonderful and and i think 
that was what just ha- being such a multi-generational show for one. And then they're mm-hmm. being so open to talk about things. They have this, tr- everything that we always thought, like you said, and we were just like, well, whatever happened with that? And then like, even with the first episode with uh, Will's ex coming on the show and we mm-hmm. just, like, him addressing mm-hmm. all the rumors and it's just like, oh, and then it just really made you love them that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that was a super important part of building that tribe is just kind of connecting yes. all the layers. So let's talk about this tribe building. Like, was was that an easy tribe to come in and maintain because it was so many different layers and parts to it? And, and you know, let's just talk about why that was so important for their brand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just need to say shout out to Black women because I'll be honest, <laughs> I have to think that there was yeah. something about the fact that, you know, a lot of the women in this group were, were women of color and specifically Black women. And um, it made my job not easy, but it definitely created avenues where I could kind of empower women who are already doing things in their own local communities, in their own local spaces to kind of come on board, you know, and help me do my work. And I say that because there were actually women who had started kind of local Red Table Talk chapters in their local cities, you know, so there was a Red Table Talk RVA, shout out to Kara Presley, you know, Red Mm -hmm. Table Talk in, you know, Atlanta, you know, Red Table Talk in Los Angeles, you know, there was these women who completely volunteer, you know, were beginning to set up Facebook groups, you know, on the platform that were targeted towards, you know, creating experiences, whether that be online, virtual, or in person, you know, for women to kind of come together, like I said, and kind of host their own Red Table Talk experiences. And so my initial thing was, we got to get these guys inside. So mm-hmm. one of the first projects I had my assistant work on was, you know, let's get all their contact information, let's kind of pull them together. And so we ended up creating what we call the RTTOGs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there were maybe about 50, like maybe like 20 or so, like I said, women all over the country who were doing this, you know, and I think, you know, when you think about um, kind of lessons for your audience, you know, one of the biggest things that I would always say is, you know, community is really important, especially when you're talking about brands like a Red Table Talk, you know, really wanting to listen and empower and hear from your community. And so we spent a lot of time nurturing them. I mean, we, we, we started setting up monthly um, video calls and conference calls with them, with Jada, you know, so they loved that. They were able to kind of get access to her and mm-hmm. begin to kind of hear some of our ideas and then obviously give us some of their ideas. Um, just acknowledging them, you know, shouting exactly. them out, you know, Jada and Gammy. Yeah, just started even on the show, shouting out them and saying, thank you so much for what you're doing. And some of these women, you know, 60,000, 70,000 members in these groups, so these are not insignificant. And, mm-hmm. and they knew what they were doing, you know, they understood social, you know, so one of the biggest lessons and, and, and steps is really about how do you empower them, you know, so what I wanted to do was make sure that they knew they were valued, you know, make sure they felt like they were in part of, part of the end, kind of the inner circle, quote unquote, and then make them know that they, they had access to resources, you know, because a lot of these guys are doing this on their own. So although we couldn't fund necessarily their operations, you know, we could give them swag, you know, we could make sure we had a video for them, you know, from Jada or Willow or Gammy kind of, you know, shouting them out. We can make sure that they had first access to certain products and different discounts, you know, just mm-hmm. to make sure that, again, they felt that it was worth their while to continue to do this. And our goal was to kind of use them as sort of the founding OG group. Mm -hmm. And then we would actually launch an entire program where people and whoever you want, men, women, whoever, could come to us and be taught, okay, how do you create your own Red Table Talk in your community? So that way people who may not have initially been, um, you know, 
understood how to do it, could then, but still were interested, come on board and say, hey, you know, I want to do this. I'm not quite sure how. And so we could kind of give you the tools and stuff to make that happen. And then you have an army mm -hmm. <laughs> across the globe mm -hmm. that you can then use to help sell stuff, to promote stuff, you know, to, uh, you know, to do all of the above to kind of keep folks sticky. So that was a big initiative early on. Um, just a lot of data analysis too, just to kind of understand, okay, here's some of the content ideas that we're thinking about rolling out. Here's some people that we're thinking of bringing on board because one of the things I also was, was thinking about was, you know, how do I make sure that this brand is not solely contingent on Jada having to be there? You know right. what I mean? Because right. clearly, you know, everybody loves Jada, but she's, she's busy. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> and, busy. you know, she's a mother, she's a wife, she's an actress, you know, she, she had other, other entrepreneurial ventures. So, you know, the question was, okay, well, can I create this brand? Can I build this brand in a way that allows it to stand on its own? So it's not Jada Red Table Talk, it's Red Table Talk. And yes, you get Jada, you get Gammy, you get Willow, but you also get this consortium of other experts and other experiences that are just as valuable, that are just as engaging and um, keep people. You know, So that was another thing we were spending a lot of time on. And there were a lot of people in some of the subject matter areas we were talking about nepotism, you know, recovering, you know, from addiction, you know, grief, you know, co-parenting that had their own kind of social media followings and their mm -hmm. own level of expertise. So we were trying to figure out who of those people we could bring in and kind of, you know, attach them to the Red Table Talk kind of halo. And right. then also, um, you know, push them out as, as, as additional people you would get access to. So we, a lot, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then you move that on to, and then obviously these community groups supported it when you launched into, you know, your own IP and, and uh, collaborative projects, like you did the We're Not Really Strangers, Strangers card deck, you, uh, yeah. you know, and then you did, uh, what else? It was something else that you guys did. Or was that the main one? So we, we did the We're Not Really Strangers mm -hmm. uh, partnership, yes, with the, with the game. And we launched that around the holiday season, which was a phenomenal a product people really love that um and then we did like two or three content campaigns you know because the other the other big dilemma like there were probably kind of three or four big things that i sort of realized i had to confront when i came on board and one of them was also you know as much as you know facebook was amazing and we loved them we and still do you know love them as a partner and they're very supportive they owned a lot of our audience pretty mm -hmm. much all of it <laughs> mm -hmm. you know when you're thinking about building a, a brand that has a direct to consumer component, you know, the, the, the real power is who owns the audience, you know? So right. they had all the data on user behavior. They had all the email addresses, you know, they had everything. So we also had to figure out, okay, well, what's going to be sort of the core red tabletop kind of owned and operated platform. And then from there, how do I begin to drive people to come to that platform? Not necessarily to say they don't go to Facebook because clearly that's where the Genesis stuff is happening. But if right. they wanted to have, what we call the go deeper experience, mm -hmm. they would come here, you know? So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time revamping the whole Red Table Talk website and really beginning to think about how I can make that be a destination site. Um, and then we, we did three content campaigns that were all focused on getting people to really give us an email address, <laughs> you know, and hopefully mm -hmm. a cell phone number because obviously texting has even become even more important. That's gold. So we had, yeah, gold. so we had mm -hmm. like our summer healing sessions campaign that I launched in between the first and second season. Then we did a holiday campaign um, with Gammy. Um, and then we did another campaign where we just kind of had women, three women experts who were helping um, people kind of prepare for the new year, you know, and, and kind of giving tips and things on how to um, kind of how to navigate that and make sure you were kind of, you know, as effectively prepared for, for, for the new for the new 2020 year as possible. So that drove, you know, probably 
you know, a really good number of email conversions. So then we're able to then start using that to kind of sell and market well, and, and yeah. build upon, you know, and the reality is you don't need a lot. You know, we probably had millions of folks across Instagram and Facebook and stuff. But, you know, if you had a couple hundred thousand email addresses, you know, you could do a good business there if, if you have the right product. And obviously we want more. I mean, the goal is to get millions of email addresses, but, you know, as a core, as a core driving, um, foundation, you know, that, that actually is not, not, not a bad number to have. So we were, we were working to get towards that. Mm -hmm. And for the people that, because I always talk about bringing products into the, into the picture, because that's mm -hmm. just, I'm all about revenue and, you know, mm -hmm. raising, profiting off of, you, you know, your value proposition and how people perceive you, you know, how important or easy and, you know, is it to bring these partnerships to life for the people that are considering launching additional products? I know Bloomberg did TikTok and then mm -hmm. changed it to, what did you say, Quick? Quick Take. Quick Take. Quick take. And yeah. then Red Table Talk launched their, you know, version mm -hmm. of products. So, you know, how important is it and how easy and, you know, urgent is it for a brand to kind of diversify and, yeah. and you know... Well, I think you really have to, you have to know your audience, you know, because I think given a brand like Red Table Talk, where, you know, the core, the core essence of it is really about, you know, having, you know, somewhat emotional, you know, kind of deep conversations. The last thing you want an audience and, and your consumers to feel is like you're trying to profit off their quote unquote pain, you know, exactly. for lack of a better word. Exactly. So for us, you know, we had to be really, really specific and, 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 and like, thoughtful about, okay, well, what kind of product makes sense? You know what I mean? And so, you know, and we, and we were hit up a lot by folks who were trying to get us to, you know, put the face of something on it or, you know, have data or, or any of the, the core talent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said no a lot in those mm -hmm. early months, just because I was like, I, can't, I cannot betray the trust. of It's a great takeaway. I mean, say no. <laughs> yeah. You, you have no. to, you have to say no. And now mind you, I mean, I definitely probably had a little more of a luxury just because it was the Smiths, you know, so mm -hmm. that definitely gave me a little bit more a runway, not a lot, because I had some 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 hardcore revenue targets that I had to hit. Right. But right. I did have to be thoughtful. So for us, you know, when we came across, we're not really strangers. And honestly, Willow had come across this because she had played it at a friend's house mm -hmm. and had brought it home to Jada. And, and Jada was like, oh, this is interesting. It was a little red and white box. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the young lady who started it, you know, had kind of started it and her mom had helped her. So there was a lot of common values as we began to dig a little bit deeper mm -hmm. um you know she had kind of really on her own you know created a nice little business for herself and so we realized you know this could be good you know because jada also and i and i personally too was really excited about beginning to celebrate other small businesses other women-owned businesses especially mm -hmm. so there was just a lot of like brand alignment i think in the two of them and mm -hmm. so we realized this could also be a cool tool for our audience because a lot of people would always ask you know how do you have this conversation you know i see you all doing it and it looks amazing, but I don't know how to do that. How do I, how do I bring this question up? And the whole premise of that game was questions you can ask to get to know strangers better. And we did a little bit of a flip on it with the Red Table Talk expansion pack where we said, you know, oftentimes you think you know your family or those closest to you really, really well. But really, is that true? You know, if you're kind of playing a role, if you're someone's mom, how well do your kids really know the you that existed before you became their mother? And so it was really about getting to know the people that you are closest to a lot better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, the idea was, you know, the, the core game is like, is cards, you know, so it's a series of questions you kind of ask different levels. So we added another pack to that 
that mm -hmm. people could kind of layer into this to this card game. And folks loved it. I mean, mm -hmm. they really loved it because it really made them feel like, oh my God, I can have my own red table talk, you know? Right. And we launched it around the holidays, you know, around Thanksgiving, so folks could take it home with them, you know, play it with their family. And it was really, really exciting. I mean, I think some of the lessons for us though, just from, um, you know, kind of launching a product early were around things like shipping. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we have an international audience, you know, and mm -hmm. people as far as, you know, Tehran and, you know, parts of Singapore and Thailand wanted to buy this, but mm -hmm. the shipping costs were pretty high, you know, to get mm -hmm. it from our warehouse here in the States. So we kind of mm -hmm. had to scramble a little bit, you know, behind the scenes. This is sort of the little, you know, stuff you, we don't want y'all to see, right, but, right, right. Um, you know, to kind of put in place some new shipping things and the whole nine. And I would say going forward, we would be more mindful of that. Mm -hmm. A, maybe there's a digital version of this that's a mm -hmm. lot less expensive, but B, right. if you want to do a physical game, you know, who are the local partners in those regions that we can right. also make sure we're leveraging for shipping so we can make sure the costs are not prohibitive because the game itself was, 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 was very well priced. But when you layered in another 40 bucks for shipping, you know, folks were like, you know, I can't afford this. Um, you know, and, and things, you know, making sure that, for example, for our audience that may have been hearing impaired, you know, or visually impaired, like just making sure that you're thinking about those kind of things. Um, you know, were some of the stuff that, you know, as you're scrambling to get something going around the holidays, you may not always be remembering, but it's important to keep that stuff in mind. Absolutely. I think that is key for um, expanding your empire. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think these are some great lessons uh, and can prevent a lot of people from going down a rabbit hole that oh, that is intended to make them succeed, but can ultimately make them fail. Everybody doesn't have that Smith money where they can just kind of, you know, figure things out as they go or, or kind of scramble, as you said. Um, you know, some some of these mistakes can put brands out of business. So I'm, I'm glad you yeah. said that. Um, yeah, but, but just in touching on direct-to-consumer, I think it's great that you said, you know, you provide the tools and, you know, you kind of just take on opportunities. Uh, well, you, you put out content rather that aligns with what people need to hear, like, and as opposed yes. to taking advantage of them, you know, it, it should always be a win-win for uh, yeah. the customer and, yes. you know, brand relationship. So exactly. And our customers were vocal, you know, they mm -hmm. were telling us like, you know, we, can you write a book? You know, can you, can mm -hmm. you do a video series on narcissism? You know, and so we were like, okay, book, we're listening, you know, audio, people wanted this on podcast. They wanted it on podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was happy to see they finally got a podcast deal going this year. Mm -hmm. but we were working on that for a while. Um, you know, one of our big ideas was this idea of launching like a like an online digital school, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of people, not everybody, but there were those people who really wanted to, like I said, go deeper and really begin to master some of these things. Um, how do you communicate effectively? You know, how do you deal with the child that might be cutting, you know, all kinds of stuff that kind of came out on the show. And so we were thinking, okay, what if we actually created like a platform where folks could come and they could sign up, you mm -hmm. know, have access to courses, um, you know, maybe pay a subscription fee, again, an opportunity for us to figure out some monetization uh, pathways forward. But at the same time, it's about providing value. At the end of the day, you got to make sure you're providing value. Yes, people are going to want to wear a t-shirt because they're mm -hmm. just excited. But, right. you know, are you, what need are you servicing? And at the end of the day, you've always got to start there when you're thinking about product development. What need are you servicing? Have people ask for it? Because <laughs> a lot of times folks will come up with products because they think, oh, this is a cool idea. Mm -hmm. But nobody's asking for it. So mm -hmm. when you put it out, it doesn't really, you know, it falls flat, you know, so data, 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 I cannot stress that enough. You know, if you're afraid of the numbers, find somebody who's not to get involved because it's so, so important, especially when you're doing anything dealing with digital, like you, you've got to just pay attention to it. 
that's a great nugget that you said. It's going to parlay us into my next topic is like why so many brands find it hard to focus on business development um, as they're building and they're growing. And, you know, they kind of have these, it could be because they, they've had this following for so long and, you know, now they've suddenly decided they want to monetize it. It could be like, for instance, Red Table Talk, we were just talking about, you know, they had built this brand, you know, on Facebook, but then they said they were smart enough to bring on a, someone who was experienced in business development like you to say, hey, how mm-hmm. can we make sense of all of this? You know, why is it so hard for brands to fully, like you said, if you don't know the numbers, find somebody that does. Why is it so hard for brands to, to, to get that and to, to really mm-hmm. understand that business development is what's going to not just build their business, but sustain their business? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I think, A, and especially if you're talking about kind of smaller brands, you know, that might be kind of looking to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, there's kind of one or two people who are doing everything, you know, and so you're just overwhelmed. I mean, you know, you're trying to get the product out. You're trying to make the product. You're trying to, you know, get on social media to promote the product. The last thing you have time to think about is the data, you know, especially if it's not your core area of expertise. So, you know, I give grace to people because, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, I've been there where you're just like, I can't get to it. You know, it's like, I want to, I know I should do it, but there's only so many hours in the day and I got to make sure the product at least gets to somebody, you know, that's, that's gave me money for it. You know what I'm saying? I'll get sued. So I think that's part of it. But I think also, you know, and this is about getting out of your comfort zone. You know, I think sometimes people, you know, are so good at what they do or they're so maybe obsessed with controlling the process Mm -hmm. that they have a hard time relinquishing some things to other people, you know, to sort of step in or even acknowledging, you know what, this isn't my area of expertise. And instead of just not doing it, let me find somebody who can come in and teach me or help me. You know, it's hard. I mean, a lot of people have a hard time admitting that they don't know something, especially entrepreneurs, because it takes so much tenacity and like, you know, people being willing to hear no so much and keep going the last thing you want to do is be like maybe i don't really know this maybe what that person said is true you know maybe just sort of dig <laughs> right. a little bit deeper um because you're just so gung-ho with like being successful and so that's where you know i think the kind of internal conversations with yourself and like working with coaches you know and and that kind of work can be really helpful for leaders because there are moments where you have to just do that you know i, I think i mean you know this but your, but your listeners man i know so my fiance owns a a streaming platform um, that he's been running for about 10 years. It's called Black and Sexy TV. Um, he's, you know, the co-founder CEO, um, you know, and, and they, they've had, you know, shout great success. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Dennis George. Love, love you, babe. Um, <laughs> you know, they've had a phenomenal run kind of in the early years, but then they kind of hit a plateau, you know, and, and what was once sort of a very uncrowded field and, and his, plat- his, his, he's basically like a black Netflix, you know, he yeah, makes streaming. original content, streaming, mm-hmm. People pay a subscription fee for it. You know, when he started, there wasn't really anybody making the kind of content he was making because, you know, the industry hadn't gotten woke yet. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> you know, 10 years later, you know, there's a lot of places you can go. Netflix and, you know, own. And, you know, there's a lot more, you know, Tyler Perry, like there's a lot more people in the marketplace that are doing content like that. So he realized, oh, okay, I got to sort of pivot. But he struggled because he was used to doing it one way, you know? And I think, you know, when I came into his life, a couple of years ago in our conversations, I was kind of able to push him in ways that he may not have been open to before because I was like, babe, like, okay, if this isn't your, your strength, fine. But if you want to scale this thing, mm-hmm. if you want to grow to the next level, you've got to get some help, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he's one of those people who's like, well, I don't, you know, he's kind of a bit of an introvert and he doesn't have, you know, a huge network and it's not his thing. I'm more of a social butterfly than he is. 
But I said, you don't have to be like me, but you've got to get out there. You've got to like get people to help you. If you don't know how to do the numbers, if you want somebody to do business development, you guys are asking for help, especially if you want to move into the next level um, and just sort of retweak your business model a little bit. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of folks sometimes can get stuck mm -hmm. in that way. And so mm -hmm. that's why they struggle. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely some some good insight for me as well, because a lot of times when I'm talking and consulting for clients, you know, as a brand strategist, I'm trying to make sense of everything that they've done and why it's so important to pull it all together and streamline it and align it with some sort of business goal. Um, because otherwise they won't, they'll just stay on that treadmill, you know, mm -hmm. the hamster wheel rather, and it'll just somebody will surpass them. And then it's like, it becomes a psychological battle. It's like, why, why are people that started after me or, you know, mm -hmm. that I mentored, you know, essentially further moving than moving ahead, moving yeah. ahead, you yeah. know, I'm, what am I missing out on, you know? So that was a great uh, little nugget of insight. Yeah, I know you end up becoming part psychiatrist, mm -hmm. you know, part business coach, you know, because brands usually is people, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's people who are kind of leading those brands. And so people bring their baggage, they bring yeah. their stuff in addition to their talents and their amazing, you know, abilities to, 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 you know, make amazing products. So you got to be able to kind of like navigate both of those things, um, you know, in a role like yours when you're consulting with people, mm -hmm. but even as, you know, somebody in it, you know, who's in the process of doing it, you have to make sure that you're okay with kind of having those tough conversations. So to your point, tribe is key. People mm -hmm. who are not, who are not afraid to tell you the truth, mm -hmm. you know, you know, for, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, I do a lot of speaking about, Mm -hmm. This idea of the power of small circles and the importance of tribe. And one of the big components of that is diversity of your tribe. You know, making mm -hmm. sure that you don't have people who are all the same disposition wise, personality wise, you know, experience wise, network wise, because if that's the case, then you're not really going to grow. Right. You need to have somebody who's going to be from a completely different background because they're going to be like, well, I don't know. And then you got to listen. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was actually one of the questions. I'm glad you said that. Like, what does a tribe mean to you? You know, and why it's so important. And, and I think what you just said, it's super duper strong. You know, that, that diversity is, I think for me personally, when I started taking focus on my tribe, you know, I was moving around and I was, you know, my Rolodex was getting huger and huger. I was living in London and I was living in Paris. I was on the West Coast for a little bit. And as you mm -hmm. know, I've been all up and down the East Coast. I'm an East Coast mm -hmm. boy. So, you know, as that Rolodex got bigger, it was really kind of like, okay, how do I make sense of everyone that I talk to on a daily basis, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how do we just kind of narrow in on this and kind of, you know, form your tribe per se. Mm -hmm. and, it, yeah. and it's, it's really, it's really a great thing to, to look at and appreciate because it takes a lot of time and energy to nurture relationships, especially with people that you yes. love, you know? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm big on small, you know, cause I always say the power of small, I think, you know, you definitely want to have a diverse network. But when I think about your tribe, I think, you know, it's the power of small as well, because I think there's a level of intimacy you're able to develop. Um, you know, you're able to actually spend time, you can focus, you know, sometimes I think if you're too grand and too broad, you know, you can kind of get distracted or not really get to the heart, to the core of what the issue is. Because mm -hmm. usually it's like a layered thing. <laughs> it's not just yep. one. It's like, well, there's three things probably that are going on here right now. Right. Um, you know, so the power of small, the power of diversity, you know, just the power, just the power of those two things alone can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just a few more tidbits uh, as we close out. Um, this was a great conversation, my friend. I'm glad we got to yeah, dive in and pull back, all these, pull back all these layers. I know. So 
So as, as an executive leader who's managed, you know, large teams and, and everything from, you know, corporate brands to startups, mm-hmm. how do you effectively manage these teams? Because I ask this to a lot of brands that I consult for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I see them, you know, coming to me to kind of implement things with their brand and, and, you know, as they're onboarding new team members or, you know, things like that, one of their growing pains is, is kind of like effective management and communication yeah. systems and keeping everything yeah. in line. And this is a truly important aspect of building a successful brand because when things are out of line or your team is not cohesive, you know, it just, uh, everything will crumble. You know, when we worked on Red Table Talk, you had a great team in place because I think, namely because you, you plucked a lot of us from your tribe. Mm-hmm. But, exactly. but what do you say to the brands that are trying to, get wrangle these teams together, even, you know, the startups or even the executive level people that are having kind of like these issues within their teams and it's yeah. their productivity and, you know, they can't get ahead, totally. but they have this amazing vision, you know, yeah, what, totally. what do you say to those people? Yeah. Well, I, I say the struggle is real, <laughs> but no, no. I mean, listen, I firmly believe that they're kind of probably like three things and you said a couple of them, you know, but I think it all starts with the talent. You know, I firmly believe, you know, that the difference between companies that are good and great is talent. You know, you talk about the talent rush. You know, one of the reasons you mentioned my fortune article that I was featured in when I came out of college, part of that was talking about this talent rush. You know, when I came out of college, there was a huge, huge, huge um, uh, demand for like great talent. And so I was kind of being featured as somebody uh, that was a good one to to watch, um, you know, and it's not easy, you know, because, you know, finding people that are talented and hardworking, you know, have similar values, you know, blah, 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 is, 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 takes time, you know, so for me, to your point, I had spent a lot of time over the years cultivating a good network. So once I was in position to be like, I can hire you now and pay you, right, <laughs> right. I could pull those folks because we've been in the trenches together, you know, mm-hmm. when we were all kind of coming up. So I think that that's actually kind of where it all starts, because if you don't have the right ingredients to kind of put into the team, then what you're going to create is not going to be great. If the ingredients aren't fresh, then the, you know, ultimately the salad you put together is not going to be fresh. So I think right. that's one of the key things to just think about. And you're always cultivating talent. You are always cultivating talent. Like if you're a leader and anytime you meet somebody, you're not thinking, Hmm, could I potentially leverage this person or how could they fit? Then you're not doing your job. Right. You are all, like it's not when you post the job on LinkedIn, <laughs> it's all the time. Um, so I would just give that advice. You are always looking for talent. Even if you don't have a role for them, write their name down because they could mm-hmm. be somebody you, you use in the in, in the future. But I think the other two things that you mentioned, communication, systems, especially now, because, you know, especially with COVID, you know, we're all working more, we're all working remotely now. Mm-hmm. You know, I had remote teams when I was at Red Table Talk, different time zones, you know, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I was um, on the East Coast. So you guys were on, on yeah, the West Coast. Yeah, on the West Coast. <laughs> and, yeah, like, half my team was on the East Coast, half my team was on the West Coast. I think we had somebody, you know, even internationally for a couple of things we were doing. Um, so, you know, starting with uh, communication, you know, just communication is so important. And I, And it's not just about, you know, do you know what you're doing, but do you know what you're part has an influencing the overall goal that we're trying to make happen, you know, and you got to really understand what incentivizes people on your team, because it's not always the same, you know, some people, it might be, I want to make a lot of money. Some people, it could be, I want to get, you know, promoted. I want to get accolades. I just want to get this type of experience because I'm trying to get to here. Um, you know, one of my designers who is one of the best designers I've ever worked with in my life, shout out to Paku Amuti, um, who did some work with me at Red Table Talk. Um, you know, 
I was lucky to get him just because he was at a point in his career where he had some downtime. You know, I probably couldn't have afforded him otherwise, you know, full time. But he believed in the mission. He believed in what I was doing. You know, he and I had a relationship. And so he came on board and he was like, well, look, Kiwi, you know, I'll do it this way because these are the things I'm trying to make happen. And I think this can give me this type of, um, I mean, this role can help me achieve those. And I was like, bet, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was able to make sure that it made sense. So he didn't feel like I was trying to take advantage of him or, you know, any of the things that I think can kind of happen. So just understanding what drives your team is important and then being very clear about where you're going over communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, and listen, there were moments where I failed, you know, with that, you know, just because we're doing so many things and you're running around or maybe you're sick and you just don't feel like making that call, but you know, you need to. And, you know, so it's something that we all have to work at, but just making sure that you're on top of that, I think is important to being, and it, to being able to run successful teams. And then, like I said, systems, I mean, you know, shout out to my number two at the time at Red Table Talk, Jonathan Jackson. Um, who is a systems genius. So, I mean, he was, he came in and really just kind of helped even take what I had put in place to the next level. So you're talking about, you know, Slack systems that were great, you know, Google Docs systems in the cloud that were great, you know, Dropbox systems, you know, templates in place, you know, as much as you can do, you know, making sure that goals were posted, you know, there were clear deadlines, clear check-in times, to making sure that there were meetings that we could check in on a regular basis, you know, whatever works for you, make sure you have those in place because, as much as you can minimize, I think, the distractions that come from, you know, oh, shoot, like I couldn't log into this or, oh, I don't know what this is and just get to the like task at hand yeah, so we can not waste time, mm -hmm. the better, you know, and, you know, especially when you're operating with lean teams and everybody's doing multiple hats, those systems become even more important. So I think those are probably like key three things. And then just have fun. You know, I mean, I think you got to mm -hmm. not lose sight of it. It's, you know, we're all trying to have fun. You know, I'm, I, I love to give and sell to give to my teams and celebrate my teams, you know, so, um, you know, like I, once we got through the Thanksgiving part, I was like, y'all need massages. So I gave everybody massages. Yes. I still need <laughs> to use certificates. mine. I, I see. But what did I still, tell you? But, but I listen, told you to use it. But it's still good. I, I logged in yeah. from uh, Zeal. So I just yeah, logged in no, like two weeks ago. I said, oh, it's still good. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to use it. Exactly. The only thing is COVID, you know, it, it messed up everything. Yeah, no, no, obviously it, it, it affected a lot. Cause I don't think Dennis has used his either. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, and that was just like, I just wanted to say thank you and let people know, like, I know you've been busting your butt. Like, you know, I can't pay you a ton, but like, here's something small just so you know that I need you to relax. Um, you know, when we got to the end, you know, I remember I had a little bit of a retreat with everybody and, you know, we all like came up with rap names and, you know, like did a little, I mean, just little fun stuff, you know, so just trying to keep the team dynamic there, especially if you don't have remote, um, especially if you have remote people, you know, I did fly my East Coast people in for at least a couple of, you know, mm -hmm. in-person interactions. That way it mm -hmm. felt like we weren't all on these isolated islands. And I think right. if you have the resources to do that ever so often, it's really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that listen, you are a tough cookie, but you were a <laughs> treat to work for. Like I'm telling you. Like Kiwi, you are a beast. Like you even Jada said it. She was like, This girl right here is a boss. Like <laughs> you I would go to sleep before you, and then you would like wake up before me. And I'm like, How why is this girl slacking me? It like it's five o'clock here, so it's like two o'clock there. Like, why are you yeah, up? I know. When I get into my zone, I can't get into the zone, but yeah. you know, that has a double-edged sword because part of it is like, you know. I'm up and I just want to get it out. But I realized that I probably needed to leverage more of like the timing, you know, the time features where I could like schedule stuff and not necessarily send it at 2 a.m. Because I don't mean I don't want you working at 2 a.m. or 
equivalent of 5 a.m. my time or whatever. Right. Um, so there's so there's layers to that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I, I am a pretty hard worker. But like you said, we have fun. But hard work pays <laughs> off, my friend. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. You can never get away from the hard work, folks. Seriously. Right. Right. You got to put see it the in. Glitz in the glam. You know, you might see the, the posts on Instagram and all that. kind, But your girl's working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. We all are. Yeah. Well, um, I guess to close out, I mean, I know you just gave three nuggets from the, uh, you know, tribe building or the, or the team building side, but I would love for you to close us out with your top five keys to building a successful digital brand, digital media brand. Mm. You've worked for three, you've worked for mm-hmm. ABC, you've worked for uh, Bloomberg, you've worked for Red Table Talk, obviously. And, you know, people are, media platforms are popping up, people's podcasts are popping up. Shout out to this one, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Everything, yeah. everything is people doing video content, starting YouTube channels, and and they all want to grow. So, yeah, what can you leave us with? Uh, from yeah, your... you said five, like not three, but like five. It okay. could be. Listen, okay. it could. No, no, we'll do just, five. Just, we'll just count start, them out. Just start spitting them, and then we can. Off the top we... of my head, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 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 just so you know, everybody responds like this: five. What you mean five? <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's all good. All right, so number one. Well, I think number one, and I think this is so important. No matter what you're building, you know, brand, you know. Uh, a tree, you know, whatever it is, start with why, why are you doing this? Cause I think that'll help keep you on track and really get to the heart of the why, you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's books out there, start with why, you know, that obviously, but that's real, you know, cause I think if you don't know why you're out here, then it just becomes even more of a challenge to get other people to say, yes, I believe in this as well. So that's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing is, you know, Within that, you know, your, 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 your early consumers, you know, your early converters are going to be your, um, you know, biggest cheerleaders, you know, so once you kind of are able to kind of crack that wine and kind of come up with a, a product that's kind of working, you know, experimentation, you know, really leaning into um, understanding and using your early adopters to hone, to change, to adjust things, just to kind of get that initial product out there. Um, is important. You don't need 5 million products. You can start with one. (laughs) Whole brands, you know, I know the ladies who started Mixed Chicks and they started with one product, you know, but now they obviously have a whole slate of things, but their first, you know, two or three years was like that one product. So again, you know, really hone your product and do the research. Um, I think connected to that is just data. You know, I cannot emphasize the importance of implementing structures so you can capture data, but then also bringing in people if you're not the one to help you interpret that data. You know, I think oftentimes, you know, we can kind of have all this data in a system, but you don't really have somebody in-house who can really help you understand the why, you know, like how do you make, you know, informed decisions based off of that. And there are many, many people out there, consultants you can hire that can help you do that. So the importance of data, I would say, especially for brand building, if you're doing anything with social media is just Mm -hmm. so, so key. The third thing is, I would say, you know, just the importance of not being afraid to fail, you know, not being afraid to iterate, um, you know, and, and try new stuff. You know, I think especially in the technology kind of digital space, that's even more important. You know, try it. If it doesn't work, pivot fast. You know, I think those are the, those are the kind of last three things. And then the, and the, the fifth thing for me, and this is just really important, is just like the power of community. You know, for me, community is so key. And it's kind of connected to probably the first three, you know, so I'm probably kind of like extending it. But just like, you know, I believe a lot of brands and especially brands today that may even be established, 
you know, the, the need to really value and show that you are listening to your community and do it in an authentic way is even, is even more important because brands are getting pulled down, you know, cause they do something that seems counter or their fans are like, nah, uh-uh, I don't believe it. You know, so cultivating, you know, empowering, creating community engagement opportunities, um, I think is really what can make the difference between brands that, you know, are like here and brands that are like kind of knocking it out the park. Mm-hmm. And I believe it can also be seen as sort of a competitive advantage. Like how, mm-hmm. how well connected are you to your community in terms of owning simple things like email addresses and phone numbers to even like I said, having kind of those faces that can be your ambassadors. Um, you know, so Keeping in mind all five of those things. What did I say? I started off with, oh, I can't re- replay them, but y'all, y'all can see. But, you know. but I know the main one that, that stuck to me. This is one of my ones too. It's start with your why. Yeah, definitely yeah. start with the why. You have to. No. Any brand that does not have a core understanding of that, um, it'll lose its way. You know, it'll lose its way over time because you're trying to build something that's going to last through the ages, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Different leadership teams, you know, different product iterations, you know, different geographic whatever whatever you know covid you know pandemics you know like, yeah. that are going to force you to change your whole business model you know but if your core reason for why you got started is still very clear and is communicated across the company so everybody knows you'll be able to withstand those those times yeah those are some phenomenal five keys to a digital media brand's success those yeah. are phenomenal and i, I love, just to piggyback on what you said about the why though like i I'll say this because a lot of brands have panicked during COVID because they just did not have a why. And then they panicked even harder when everybody was talking about Black Lives Matter and all the George Floyd Mm. protests and Breonna Taylor, everything popped off in June. They were having such a hard time having a voice in that time because they had never really developed a why. So yeah. it was nothing to really relate that messaging to. To you know? exactly. So yeah. you know, and you- it's not easy. To be clear, that is not easy. You know what I'm saying? Like figuring out your why takes time. You got to really, 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 really sit with yourself. Like, mm-hmm. why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do the work up front. It'll definitely, yeah, pay off over time. Yeah, always do the hard work first. <laughs> you know, I, I, I say that with passion and from learning experience. You know, exactly. anything that, that makes you want to put it off, just go ahead, get it out the way, and I know you, it will get better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, definitely. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I guess you know, to close out, I will. Um, you know, if anybody has any additional questions or information, you know, you can find me online. Social media handles are all Kibi Anderson, no, no space. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Kibi Anderson. Um, shout out to you, Tony, for this. You know, I'm proud of you. Obviously, I've seen your growth and, and, and have been so just, just excited about, you know, how you blossomed and where you're going. And obviously, Thank your you. support of me, I appreciate well, I appreciate you, sis. And Thank you. Going to, uh, I mean, I, I got to have you back, obviously. I mean, there's so much that we could have dived into as well. But this was a great start to, uh, you know, just get into a deeper dive of who you are. And, you know, even though I knew, but I just always love to hear it in your, in your own words. You're such a yes, great storyteller. So. Awesome. You, my friend. Well, my pleasure. All always. right. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. That was Kibi Anderson on Building a Better Brand, Episode 3. I'm going to be honest, I truly needed this conversation. 
It was refreshing for two friends in the same industry to finally just be able to catch up and drop gems in the midst of a global pandemic, especially after not being able to see each other for nearly a year now. So many of us are out of sync with our usual entrepreneurial style hustle and bustle, so it was really great to disconnect. I'll be honest, it's been hard not being able to feed off the energy of our tribe face to face. But nonetheless, I'm grateful for technology and digital media and conversations like this. As I learned things about Kiwi's business building journey that I didn't know, in addition to some epic insights that I can apply to my own business. There is so much to pull from this interview, from motivation for a starting point to understanding what goes into building and launching a successful multi-million dollar digital brand. And even some noteworthy inside scoop about what it's like working with iconic business people like Michael Bloomberg and celebrities like Jada Pinkett Smith. But I'm sure when it was all said and done, they just as much looked at Kibi and said, wow, what a treat it was to have somebody like her on my team. One of my favorite takeaways from this episode, though, was when she talked about hanging in there long enough to get your shot, because eventually everybody gets their shot. And when it comes, you got to be ready. Tenacity is an attribute that I preach on often. Besides, I wouldn't have made it this far in my journey without it. I also loved her closing golden nuggets, which were, in case you missed them, number one, start with your why. Number two, lean into understanding your early adopters and try to learn and know what they enjoy about your product. Number three, implement a structure to capture data and then use this data to market. Number four, do not be afraid to fail. Iterate, try new things along the way. If they work, keep them. If they don't, pivot and fast. Number five is appreciate the power of community. Build your community. My advice to add to this, Go travel, go see the world, get out of your hometown and explore. Obviously, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, but I am claiming that this pandemic is on its last leg of having to keep us quarantined and disconnected from traveling the globe. What I love about Kibi's story is the diversity of her experiences. Moving to China at 17 and living there for four years was truly a baseline for her early accomplishments and being able to connect and build resources in places that were untraditional and, quite frankly, not organically in the deck of cards for someone with her background. This exposure has allowed her to not only build from a global perspective, but also gain opportunities as a result of her outlook. Diversify your network. You cannot just talk to, roll with, and work with people that look like you. Because like she said, Quite a few of her opportunities came from knowing the right people. Not that she didn't have the, the skill set and the talent to back it up, but you're much more likely to be remembered and considered if you've already established a relationship with someone. Lighten your load. Work smarter, not harder. Especially if you're working media because there's going to be way too much that you're going to have to keep going and need to keep up with on a daily basis. Building the right community of relationships will serve you and serve you well. Because if you wanna be successful, you'll have to lead diverse teams from concept through collaboration. And in order to transform high level ideas into action, you're gonna to need to do all of that and do it well. 
all parts to the winning formula of keeping businesses growing and profitable. I think that's what we all want. Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Tony Triumph Official. I'm more active on Instagram. So if you really want to talk to me, hit me up on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. I'm attempting to get more active on there. So I'm at Tony Triumph 10 on Twitter. If that's your, your platform of choice, please, by all means, tweet me. And if you have any brand-related questions, requests, or even feedback about this podcast, feel free to hit me up at info at buildingabetterbrand.com. And I hope today's episode will help you build a better brand. Till next time, y'all.